it wasn't that long ago that people were saying sitting is the new smoking. It's not actually true, but that's what they were saying. And everyone was switching to standing desks. Well, what if that's not actually the right place to go or going far enough or going in the right direction? Maybe there's a different direction than standing that could be even more important and more relevant uh, and something you haven't considered or certainly haven't thought about as an adult. Let's leave it that way for now. And we'll see more about this on today's episode of the Movement Movement Podcast, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting feet first, because you know those things are your foundation. Um, And we break down the propaganda, the mythology, and sometimes the flat out lies you've been told about what it takes to run, walk, play, do yoga, CrossFit, lift, dance, dance, revolution, uh, powerlifting, skydiving, yes, skydiving, um, or whatever else you're doing, and how to do that enjoyably, efficiently, effectively. Did I say enjoyably? Yes, I know I did because it's a trick question. Because look, if you're not going to do something that you love and you enjoy, you're not going to keep doing it. So find a way to do something that you like. Anyway, I'm Stephen Sashin from ZeroShoes.com, your host of the Movement Movement Podcast. And if you don't know, we call it that because we are creating a movement about natural movement, letting your body do what it's made to do. And you can find out more if you go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. You'll find previous episodes, all the ways to interact with us. And you don't have to do anything to join. That's just the domain we got. Um, There's no special fee. There's no secret handshake. But again, you can get alerted to new episodes, find all the previous ones, and then find us on social media where you know what to do. Leave reviews, thumbs up, like us, um, leave it, hit the, the bell icon on YouTube. You know the drill. If you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. So that said, Emily, first of all, welcome. Secondly, tell people who you are, why you're here, and let's have some fun. <laughs> that was awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. Um, yeah, my name is Emily Gooding. I, I'm a movement coach here from Ottawa in Canada. And I work with individuals to help improve their quality of life through movement coaching, time massage, and furniture design, really. Uh, so, yeah, so a little bit of everything. I, my, my background's actually in, re- I'm a registered nurse, so my background's in nursing. So I kind of fell into this by chance, and I just love it. So I, I was always a personal trainer when I was going through nursing school, and it's just something that I've always done. I've always worked with clients, worked with movement, um, and it's just something I continue to do until, like, couldn't nurse anymore. It, got, it just took over my life. So that, that's where I'm at right now. I love it. Well, uh, since you said Thai massage, you gave me a flashback to my favorite Thai massage story when I was in Thailand. And holy crap, this is a long time ago, 1999. Um, so <laughs> I'm at uh, Wat Po where they do Thai massage. And this tiny, tiny woman couldn't weigh more than 90 pounds is giving me massage. And at one point she's working on my inner thigh and it was the most excruciating thing I ever felt in my life. And so I kind of rolled over to try to figure out, to see what she was doing. And she's just, you know, leaning on me with one elbow while reading the Sunday comics. And I thought that that is so not fair. If you're going to cause that kind of pain, you at least should have to pay attention, but uh, no, just no, no, they don't need to. That's the beauty of it. I think that's why I fell in love with, you know, being five foot one and 125 pounds, you know, I've always been around athletes who are much bigger than me. A lot of men that were much bigger than me. And I was like, well, regular massage is just not going to cut it. So I'm going to have to learn how to walk on people and, and beat them up with my elbows and my feet. <laughs> I have a friend who was a massage therapist. One of his clients was a professional bodybuilder. And after three sessions, he said to the guy, I get it. I know you booked for 10. I've got to give you your money back. You're just too big. I can't do it. And yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've had to send some clients away just because of how big they were. But luckily, that like my fiance is a registered massage therapist. And he's a nice, big, strong guy, so he gets all of those clients. Perfect. Perfect. Well, so let's move on to. I mean, when you said furniture design, that leads into what I sort of teased at the beginning when we got on this call before I hit record. The first thing I said is, you know, I love someone who's got rings in the background and you described what was behind you as being more than just having rings hanging from somewhere in the background. So let's talk. Well, anyway, I'm going to let you take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the rings that you're describing in the background, it's attached to a system. It's a stall bar system for those. So for those who don't know what a stall bar is, it looks like a ladder that's anchored to the wall. Um, and it's used for body weight exercises, gymnastics, all that kind of stuff. And you can attach Olympic rings to it and stuff like that. There's a pull-up bar at the top as well. It's a pretty, like, relatively simple structure. And, and most people probably would have seen these types of things in their in their gym class uh, when they were in elementary school. So I had a, uh, one of my clients design this for me. And what was what's special about this one in particular is that it has a desk attachment that can hang onto the rungs of, of the ladder at any height. So you can use it as a standing desk. You can put it down to uh, a high level where you can use a chair or you can put it right down to the ground where you can sit on the floor and utilize it. 
And I wanted something like this because it was something that I would use a lot and I couldn't find anyone who would make it. So I was like, let's just make it ourselves. And yeah, and I don't have a very small, like, like uh, right now I'm in my studio and it's, it's a quite a small room. It's 10 by 20. So it's not a huge room. This is where I train my clients. It's also where I do Thai massage. And so I needed something that was compact uh, and that, can, that was very versatile. So this was just a perfect thing. And then, you know, I started featuring it in my videos and people started asking about it. So that's where Human Home was born. Uh, so I've been working with local creators uh, in my community to design and build furniture that's de- that helps you move better and move more often. So we have like ground living desks. We work on creating ground cushions, uh, standing desk system like this and really anything we can, can think of. So we're still in the process of, uh, of designing more furniture, refining the furniture that we're building now. And, and yeah. So, um, so when did you start Human Home? This was, I guess, last year. Yeah, unofficially last year. Unofficially. <laughs> yeah. Is there an official date? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's all unofficial so until it's- Everything a- I do is unofficial. <laughs> I like the way you think people, uh, people talk to us about, you know, what we, what we've built. And I said, yeah, we're just getting started. They go, uh, no, this is a big thing. I went, no, nah, no, nah, we're just getting started. So in my yeah. mind, in my mind, it's always literally, it took me, we've been doing this 12 and a half years only within the last year. Did I stop looking at things that we're talking about startup companies? It's like, I always think of myself as a startup, but anyway, be that as it may. Absolutely. And I mean, like if, if we talk about when the, or the idea came about, it was from when I was a young kid and I just didn't want to sit in a chair. So, and I think, you know, it's really hard to pinpoint when the origin is of these projects. Cause it's just, if you, if you're doing your life's work, I think it's just, it starts from the beginning. When people ask me to describe how Zero Issues began, I usually half-jokingly start by saying, okay, when a lo- mommy loves a daddy very much, then <laughs> that's how it all began, <laughs> at least from my perspective. Um, Absolutely. So, so as a kid, you were, you were a floor-sitting person? Yeah, I mean, I sat on floor. I think part of it is because I did, um, you know, I grew up doing martial arts, so I grew up doing karate. I think you did martial arts as well. I did. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Okay, what did you do? Um, I was an Aikido and Tai Chi guy, but my Tai, I got to preface that or not preface it. I've got to follow that up by saying my Tai Chi teacher um, was a guy who, when I met him, he'd been doing Tai Chi for 22 years. He was 27 and he, okay. and he treated Tai Chi as a fighting art, not just, you know, a thing that old people do to relax. And so, uh, and I met him actually in Aikido where he was kind of a little overweight guy. And while he was a I don't remember what level black belt he was. He never wore his Hakama, never wore the black belt. And so he just looked like a guy who didn't really know what he was doing. And then he would just heave you across the room with no effort whatsoever. And um, I'll do the last part of the story. This guy's name is Eric. Someone says, you know, have you had Eric push you? This is before I started doing Tai Chi. I was just doing Aikido. And they told me that Eric taught Tai Chi. And they said, have you ever had Eric push you? I said, what what are you talking about? They said, you got to come over to the house. So I go over to his house. He was living with a couple of the guys that were all Tai Chi players. And there was no furniture in the living room, the classic furniture for a Tai Chi guy, no furniture. And um, so I'm standing kind of in the doorway or the space between the, the living room and the dining room. I'm facing the dining room. It's important for the geometry of this. And so I have one arm in front of me at about chest level. And Eric puts his hands on me very gently. And he's just kind of moving my arm very gently. And I'm going, all right, this is weird. And I kind of was curious what was going on because I just heard some noise behind me and I look behind me and there's four guys holding a mattress like against the wall, 10 feet behind me. And as I turn around and I'm about to say, well, that's interesting. Eric just looks at me, he goes, bye-bye. And all I felt was a tap on my arm. And then I hit the mattress. Amazing. That's straight out of a movie. It was, it really was. It was like crouching tiger flying session. And so I, I I went, all right, I gotta, I gotta find out what's going on. So he used to go to karate schools and challenge karate guys to a fight and he would just destroy them. Um, And sometimes he would do something simple. Like he'd say, I'm going to, my hands are at my sides. I'm going to try and tap you on the top of your head. Don't let me. It's whatever you want to do. Just don't let me. And I'm not going to do anything crazy. Don't let me. And then he would just tap, 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 tap. And they'd never be able to block him. And they were very confused. And then he would say, do you think there's something wrong with the practice you've been engaged in? And he just wasn't telegraphing. So anyway, that's a long martial arts. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, martial, everyone has their martial arts journey, but yeah, I guess bringing it back to 
my interest in ground living, it really does stem from, from martial arts. So I, I started off doing karate. And I've always felt drawn to the, the ground movement aspect because in the karate that I did, we spent a lot of time on the floor as well and then practicing drills on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Unusual. Yeah, totally unusual. My senses were really awesome. And they're like, well, you know what? Other people are training on the floor, so we probably should get used to it as well. So and I, uh, I, you know, I fell in love with that aspect of it. So now I do a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I was going to say, you must have, I was going to ask if you had gone to BJJ from there. Yep. And that's exactly what I do now. So, so now I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu where you spend a lot of your time on the ground and I just feel really comfortable and at home there. My body feels fantastic. I mean, I interact with the ground pretty heavily, like sleep on the floor. I spend time eating on the floor, fold my laundry on the floor. And it's helped me with my chronic pain. Like I was a nursing student for a long time. So I spent a lot of time hunched over a desk and I was like, I had crazy neck pain. I had headaches all the time. I was suffering from a lot of migraines and it was miserable. So really like this just stemmed from me trying to find solutions to the pain that I was having. And I re- recognized that when I was doing jujitsu, I felt fine. When I was not doing jujitsu, I didn't feel good. So like, how do I spend more time in mimicking what I'm doing in jujitsu in my day-to-day life? And yeah, now my life is jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so while you're eating, is someone trying to choke you out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> well, for for people, um, I, I can only imagine that when you say, you know, you, about all the things that you're doing on the floor, especially sleeping on the floor, there are yeah. some people who are going to go, "All right, that sounds completely insane." So, how do you respond to that and give them the invitation to 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 say more about why you're doing what you're doing, why they might want to try it, and what the easy way into experiment might look yeah. like? Absolutely. I thought it was crazy when I started doing it at first because we had our nice comfy kings down bed that we were sleeping on. And I I started taking I started having pain in the middle of the night so it's just to give you some insight. So I was having pain in the middle of the night and I'd wake up and I'd have radiating pains down my arm. And it was it was pain. like I didn't know what to do. You know, my fiance is a massage therapist. We were experimenting. We were doing all types of exercises. I could not figure it out for the life of me like why I would wake up in the middle of the night with this type of pain. So out of frustration um, and not wanting to, to wake my fiance up all night long, I just grabbed my pillow, grabbed my blanket and slept on the floor and I would fall asleep. And then I did that again the next night. And then again, the next night it's into the point where I was just sleeping on the hardwood beside my bed. Now I don't recommend to people that that's like the way that you should do it. So what I usually tell people that they're, if they're having pain when they're sleeping, they don't feel comfortable. I'm like, try taking a nap on the floor and I get myself set up like right now I'm sitting on my time massage. I actually took a nap right before uh this call but I have like my time massage mat so it's just like a thicker type of yoga mat maybe like an inch thick and just like start with a nap there see how you feel and your body has to get used to it and I mean you've probably had this discussion many times with anyone transitioning to a minimalist shoe uh, that it takes some time to transition especially if you're coming from a, like an orthotic or a heavily cushioned and supported shoe um, you need a little bit of time to build that tolerance and resilience up. And the same kind of philosophy applies to sleeping on the floor. You just need your body has to get used to it. Uh, but if you think about it, for most of human history, we've spent all of our time interacting with the floor and sleeping yeah. on the ground. We never had really like soft cloud-like memory foams to sleep on. But so this is how we were designed to to move. And when you sleep on the floor, what what happens is it's not the most comfortable thing but it encourages you to move frequently throughout the night so there's like built-in movement and mobility work as you're sleeping so I, I personally just found that I feel better when I sleep on the floor and it's just through self-experimentation like maybe it's not for everyone but it's what what works for me and if I can you know share my story and just open up another option or a door for someone else it's just to think about it and give it a shot like it might not be for you but if it works for you then why not and that's it. Since human beings like to have prescriptions for how to do things, I'm going to add some things to the prescription for experiment right. on the floor. So um, talk about what you would recommend for someone in terms of literally, I know this can sound silly, literally like what position should they try or start in? Yeah. What are you doing for a pillow? I mean, just like, let's really, you know, give Yeah. People- so what I like to do when I'm making my, my bed, I, I try to imagine I'm trying to set up my floor bed as I would for a toddler taking a nap on the floor. So I make it nice and cozy. I'll maybe roll out a yoga mat. Like I don't want it to be too, too hard. So I'll roll out a yoga mat. If you have like a Pilates mat or something like that, you can do that too. You can even use a nice like carpet, like you just have a carpet. And then I'll throw a comforter down or a sheet down, depending on what you'd like. 
at the beginning, I used a thick comforter. So just so it had a little bit of extra cushion. A question I get a lot is like, do I use a pillow? And yes, I do use a pillow sometimes. <laughs> so if I'm lying on, <laughs> if I'm lying on my side, I tend to use a pillow just to support my head. So it's not in that awkward bent, uh, like laterally bent position. Um, but if I'm on my back, I don't use a pillow just so that my head can sit naturally. And we kind of have this little divot in the back of our head and everyone can kind of feel the flat part of our head. And that's just to let your head sit flat on the ground when you're sleeping. That's what it's there for. So yeah, I have just like a pretty flat, shitty Ikea pillow that <laughs> that I got. I actually had this like nice, super nice um, memory foam pillow with contours and I hated it. So I went to Ikea. I'm like, give me your cheapest, crappiest, flattest pillow. You know, while we're not sponsored by Ikea, I feel obligated to say Ikea products are not all shitty. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, when you said shitty Ikea, hello, all I could think of is like, how many Ikea things do I have in my house? Okay, I got those bookshelves, I got that thing. And then I've actually got some, uh, I'm a fan of some of their desserts. So Ikea food, yep. we're big fans of some of that. And in fact, I've got a couple of cakes that have been in my freezer for too long. I'm going to have to pull them out and eat them this weekend. Now that you reminded me. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like I, my first standing desk too, uh, which I still have is an Ikea desk. And, and it was just, it was perfect. You just got a tabletop with long legs and yep. it was fantastic. My, my same yeah, actually. I love Ikea. <laughs> I have two. Mine is the same. I have an Ikea desk that I put together in my office and I had to raise it more than the legs could go. Um, not because I'm massively tall because I'm a whopping five, five, but because I threw a treadmill under there as well. So I need that extra like six to nine. Oh, cool. I just threw uh, some cinder blocks down and put my desk on top of that. It's beautiful. Very classy. Um, I mean, beautiful cinder blocks. So, so let's, uh, so let's talk more just about living and being on the floor as well, but also, you know, what your thoughts are. I mean, it is kind of funny that people, that this idea came up about uh, sitting being the new smoking where Dan Lieberman, uh, who kicked off the barefoot movement, his most recent book is called Exercised. And the first chapter is, is busting the myth about smoke, sitting as the new smoking by saying, you know, like if we look at indigenous tribes, they spend more time sitting than we do but they don't spend time sitting in things that keep them from moving. So like you said about sleeping, there's more motion involved sitting. There's more motion involved. And in fact, the chair that I'm sitting on right now, wait, I'm going to show this one. This is from core Q O R core 360. It's just a thing that is totally unstable. And so way better. And I've, I've sat on, you know, like yoga balls before this thing is way, way better. So I'm, technically sitting, but continually having to move in order to stay balanced and do the things that I'm doing. Yeah, I think the, you know, we should, we should differentiate the different types of sitting and, you know, sitting in an ergonomic chair where you're fully supported and not moving, that's probably more equivalent to smoking. Uh, right. Sitting on the floor, and you've probably seen me, I'm sitting on the floor right now, I've probably changed my position like 10 to 20 times in, in the short conversation that we've had so far. So it's completely different. Uh, when you're sitting in a chair, you're in that fixed position. So, and our bodies are lazy. Right? So we, your body's going to adapt to the position that you assume throughout most of the day. But if you don't assume a position throughout most of your day, then it's not going to adapt to it. And you're going to be a lot more versatile. So floor sitting is completely different than chair sitting. There was a big shift to, towards like the standing desk movement. And I, and I love, I love the standing desk. I really, I, I work from a standing desk often and I do work from the ground often. Those are my kind of two defaults and lying down on the ground as well. But I think humans tend to be very binary, right? We tend to be like all or nothing with it. We either sit or we either stand. But I think what's really important is that we can, we, there's that whole spectrum of movement in between those two positions too. Because sometimes we can stand, sometimes we can sit on the floor. Sometimes you can lie down and sometimes it just means looking at listening to your body and asking, what does it need right now? Today, I, you know, I didn't have a great sleep, so maybe I just need to take a nap and lie on the floor for a little bit. You know, normally if I was going to do a conversation on Zoom, I'm usually standing up on my desk, but because I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, I'm going to sit down on the ground today because just to conserve a little bit of my energy, uh, but we can adjust accordingly. But I think a lot of people tend to be like, oh, now I'm using a standing desk. I'm going to stand here all day. And then when they have a day like, like I'm having today, they're going to feel like crap. So then they're like standing desks don't work at all. So, and then I think having some flexibility with the way that we move as well is, is really important. And it, it forces you to be really intuitive about what's going on in your body when you do recognize that movement exists on a spectrum. 
I have a chair next to me because I'm in, in our conference room. And in my office where I have my standing slash treadmill desk, I've got a desk next to it. Because like you said, there's some times where I'm going, I just need a break. And mm-hmm. I need to like lean back and just chill. And it's, I am thinking that after I spent time on this or standing, um, when I was thinking I need to go back to a chair for a while, I felt guilty. I will confess. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I should be able to handle this better. And then it took me a, not very long because I don't kind of second guess some things like that very often, but it took, you know, definitely a few, a few times where that was going through my head of going, yeah, yeah. I just want to sit down. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And we tend to beat ourselves up over, over saying things like that or thinking it, right. We're like, oh, we just, we failed at it. It's like, no, we just, we're not used to it just yet. And it just takes some time to, to adjust. And it might just mean you need to spend more time sitting on the floor too. Like it means that you need to grab, like gravitate towards being on the ground. I mean, you have a pretty active job and you talk a lot throughout the day. It might just mean you need to spend more time on the ground or just lying down. I spent a lot of time sitting on the floor. Um, we have a, Lane and I, are, I mean, we work really hard and often long hours. And so like I'll roll home, cook some dinner. We get on the couch, we watch some television. And often I find myself sitting in front of the couch on the floor. And when I'm, when I'm on the floor, I think often about my dad, who the only time he was ever on the floor is if he was trying to you know, build something like a coffee table uh, without the instructions and it would turn into something completely different because he didn't follow the instructions. Uh, but I never really saw him spending time on the floor. That was not a thing I saw adults doing when I was growing up. And I'm very aware of that every time I do it, um, which it's sort of interesting that my life looks so nothing like anyone that I mod- or could model from uh, growing up. And I'm not unusual. I mean, this is a not uncommon thing, especially with the people I hang out with. But it is un- it is sort of interesting to see that how somehow that happened. Conversely, now that I think of it, I know people who still live in the same place where I grew up, which was an you know upper middle class neighborhood outside of Washington D.C. And um, the idea of people sitting on the floor it's even still a little weird for them. So it's fascinating seeing how these things penetrate people's brains yeah. or not. There's definitely like a cultural component to it as well. You know, growing up, my, my dad is from the Caribbean. My mom grew up in Asia and we met here. So I grew up sitting on the floor with big families. There was never room at the table to, to have dinner. So everyone, you know, the younger, younger ones always sat down around the coffee table. So interacting with the ground was just something that was a part of my life. And it was not a, not a really big deal. We squat. You know, even our, from the toilets that you see in Asia, they're on the ground. So you, you got to be able to do a deep squat if you want to, to yeah. you know, have a bowel movement. It, it, so, comes, it comes in handy. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think our modern life is just not, not built close to the ground. Every, every technological advancement that we have, in quotation marks, is designed to disconnect us from the ground, even from our shoes. And we're starting at our shoes, like our, our heels start to get more and more elevated so that we're further away from the ground. Our buildings are getting taller, so we're not as close to the ground anymore. Our beds are even getting higher. Have you seen some of the beds that are out there? You have to like climb onto them. Yeah, yeah. When I go to a hotel, I have to get a running start to, to get up. The trucks that we have, you have to like basically get a ladder just to get on top. But, but we're really like, no one wants to be close to the ground at all. And I think because it, initially it takes a little bit of work to get there if you're not used to it. Yeah. What else do you want to tell about, I mean, you know, this was the intro to, to what we're doing and there was a bunch of things that we kind of touched on before we started this conversation that for whatever reason have flown completely out of my head, which means I'm just going yeah. to say, where else are we going with this? Probably. I mean, one of the things that I wanted to do with human home in particular and bringing the desk, so I have this ground living desk that, that we make. And it's just like an individual kind of moon-shaped desk that you can slide right under. So it can support your elbows, but you can move your hips freely underneath the desk and change your hip position. That's something I want to get into schools because I I think that when I was in school, if I had something like that, I would have thrived a lot more uh, than I did because I spent a lot of time in school being distracted, focused on my pain and just being miserable and not enjoying the, the process of it just because I just, I was like, this sucks. I hate sitting here. I feel antsy. I want to leave. I want to go to, I want to move around. Uh, so I think if I had that as, as a kid, I think I would have done a lot better in school. And, you know, when we talk about, we can, we can, I don't know how far you want to dive into this, but. Oh, all the way. Let's go. So, I mean, I see a lot of kids with, with ADHD or a lot of people with uh, attention kind of deficit issues. And I really think that if we gave them the freedom to move around more, we would see a lot less 
of that. I don't know. I look at my eight-year-old nephew and I, I'm like, there is no way I can get you to sit down in a chair for eight hours a day. Right. And it's not because he's a bad student. It's just because I don't think I can. I don't think anyone's designed to do that, let alone an eight-year-old boy. So, you know, I think it just making it more accessible for kids to move freely will, will help them learn better. And if we can get kids to learn better, then we're going to really progress our society. I have a thing I want to add to that. Um, we have a lot of parents. Now, I'm not going to make medical claims in what I'm about to say, but I'm just going to share this. This we have a lot of parents of kids who have who have autistic children or kids with ADD or ADHD who say um, the only shoes they want to wear are yours, and it seems like they function better when they are. And I mm-hmm. said, um, I think I have a theory why. And my theory is that getting that extra stimulation by wearing shoes that don't have a shit ton of padding is actually doing the same thing that Ritalin does. Ritalin is a stimulant and it calms people down who have issues being hyperactive or having attention deficit problems because it's letting, it's giving the brain a certain kind of information. I, the way, the analogy that I have is when I lived in New York city, I could meditate better or fall asleep pretty much instantly on a subway because the noise of the subway was just a little bit louder than kind of the thinking in my brain. So it's, you know, easier. And I, my theory is something similar is happening. I also joke when people ask me like what I've done for a living and I have a very long list of things that I've done in the last 40 something years. I start by saying, well, I, you have to keep in mind, they hadn't invented Ritalin when I was a kid. If they had, I would not be doing the things that I've done. Um, yeah. But so I would contend and it would be interesting to see if being on the ground is just adding additional stimulation from all the movement you have to do and the feeling that that might be calming uh, in that in a similar in a similar way. Yeah, I mean, I think that what you're saying is really valid, and I, you know, it reminds me of when I when I walk my dog, and we we he has a lot of energy. He's he's a poodle mix, and so he's got lots of energy. He's very very active, and what we notice that if we bring him to a new neighborhood for the same length of a walk he's a lot more tired after that walk than it is when we're, when we're just bringing him on our regular routine walk, just changing your environment. And I think that provides a lot more stimulation. So yeah, I think I agree with, yeah, with your your premise. Well, Lane and I were somewhere, where the hell did we go? I have no sense of space or time. We were, oh, New York, duh. Um, she had never been to New York City before. And she found it really, I, I found it very relaxing because it was familiar to me, even though things have changed a lot since I left there. I moved out 29 years ago. But nonetheless, it was still very familiar in many ways. And for her, it was totally novel. And she was just exhausted from the stimulation. And of course, the irony with the dog, we have our first dog, each of us, it's our first dog. We've had him for about three months. And the secret with him, um, he's also pretty high energy, is get him tired. And yeah. yeah, and in a manageable way. It's like if we just let him have his way when we're out for a walk, he'll just be looking for, I call him dog, the bunny hunter. Um, he's just always on the lookout for the bunnies. And in our house, he's constantly running back and forth from window to window, looking for the bunnies or the somethings. And uh, but when we take him for extra stimulation, if we have to drop him off at doggy daycare, he comes back pleasantly exhausted. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a, if you don't go that far, there's definitely a relaxing component to a certain kind of stimulation, but when it gets to be yeah. a lot, then it just flat out knocks you on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's really valid. It's just, if you look at, if you look at your dog, they're not too, too different. They're, I think we, we forget that we're mammals as well. At the end of the day, we're, we're animals as well. So we, we need, you know, our, our lizard brain still needs the same thing that our dogs do. And I'd say like 95% of behavioral issues with dogs are associated with lack of exercise. And right. I, I find myself starting to get antsy. I'm irritable if I don't train or exercise as much, if I'm not moving. And if, if I'm forced to sit in a chair all day long, I'm not a happy camper. And I think the challenge or the problem is that people get acclimated to that in a certain way. If they just keep doing Absolutely. it, your brain is designed to uh, like, just with like being in New York after enough time, you just start shutting off some of the stimulation. You just don't pay attention to it. You st- it still affects you in some way, but not as much. And my suspicion is that people who are just sitting all day, who aren't moving very much, and there are aches and pains and issues that go along with that, they either don't put two and two together that that's part of the problem or their brain just sort of um, again, acclimates and shuts it off just to allow them to continue doing this thing they think they need to do. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, absolutely. I think getting to the ground can be really challenging for some people as well. Uh, due to, like, like you're saying, you get acclimated to sitting in a chair 
So getting to the ground can be a little bit challenging. I see people have a really difficult time, you know, just feeling comfortable on the ground. So I, th- I just wanted to touch on that a little bit because I think it's important. And I think that there's a way that we can transition really safely. Because so if I got people to get on the ground right now and you know, if you're not used to it, it can be really uncomfortable and you're going to hate doing it and you're going to never try it again. So what I always encourage people to do is to try to make it a little bit more inviting and to you want it to be comfortable enough that you want to sit there for a little bit, but not so uncomfortable that you hate being there. And right. there's a nice fine balance. And once you get used to that, you can start to remove some of the some of the comforts and you'll need less and less with time. I mean, the beautiful part of that is the more comfortable you get with discomfort, the more comfortable everything else feels. And, you know, you'll start to just feel comfortable in all kinds of places that you probably shouldn't feel comfortable in, but it opens up a whole new world of comfort for you. If you just kind of, you basically have to lower your standards of what's comfortable. Unintended. But you got to do it gradually. Well, so let's talk about what that means then to do it gradually. But maybe um, as a bit of a mild tangent, um, I imagine some people are uncomfortable with the idea of getting on the ground because they've experienced that they have a hard time getting off the ground. Yeah. So I teach this fall prevention class for seniors. And in the fall prevention class, what I get them to do is to actually not necessarily fall down, but to get to the ground and practice getting back up. Most of the times why seniors end up in nursing homes is not because they fall, it's because they fall and they can't get back up. So getting back up is a really important skill. So what I would say is practice doing that more and more frequently and practice it with supports and people around. If you don't feel necessarily comfortable getting to the ground by yourself right now, make sure that you have someone around or make sure that you have something to hold on to so that you can get up. Or you can maybe even um, start by just getting standing up on your couch and sitting on your couch and then standing back up. Like you don't have to get all the way to the ground or just get to a lower platform, for example. And and then eventually you can start to remove some of those those comforts. But yeah, like there's no shame in having someone come around and help you with with that too and making it easier for yourself. Having, uh, if you're going to sit down on the ground or go to your stairs, you know, at the bottom of your stairs and then be able to use the stair, the, the railing to pull yourself up to and practice it. You, you only get better when you spend more time doing it. Any other techniques or tips you want to share for either getting down or getting back up? This is honestly like however you want to get up and down, it's going to work for you. But uh, there's this drill that I like to do where you find 10 creative ways to get up and down, 10 different ways. And it starts to, so yeah, you get up off down the ground. You can start, you can make it challenging by not using your hands at all. And you have to find 10 ways that you can get up different ways to get up and down off of the ground, but explore your creativity and see what works best for your body. And like, don't be afraid to use your hands in weird places to put your feet, like just experiment and and give it a try. Um, A lot of it is just problem solving that you have to do for your own body. Everyone's really different too, right? So it, you really just have to find what works for you and you won't find what works for you until you actually do it. It's like um, practicing on a balance beam. You just got to keep doing it and you'll, you'll get better at it. I, unfortunately, this is one of those areas where we want to find a lot of tips and tricks, but it's just reps. Well, I am going to, I'm going to pressure you for yeah, you a tip and trick though. So out of 10 different ways to get up or down, um, let's focus on the getting up for no apparent okay. reason. Give me two that people might not normally think of. Getting up off the ground. Okay. One extreme one would be to like do a back roll and then come up like that. Nice. That's not going to be very accessible. When you, okay, here's a good, I think it's up is to think about your, your stance and when you're coming up and, and think of, you have four points of contact that you could have, right? Whether it's your hand, your hands, your knees, your feet. You want to make sure that there's enough space between those. If you're if your hands and your feet are in line, like you're walking a tightrope, you're not going to be very stable. So you want to make sure that you have like almost an equal distance between those those points. We're bipedal, so the goal would be to try to push yourself up onto your feet using your hands. So you always want to think of where your center of gravity is, usually just below, behind the belly button, a little bit below that. It really depends on where it is, but kind of in the core. And you want to position that over your feet. And once your your center of gravity is over your feet, then you can elevate yourself. Right. So if you're in like a quadruped position, like you're on all fours, you might have to use your hands to push your center of gravity back over your feet. And then from there, you can stand up. But if you know where your center of gravity is, your goal is to try to put it on top of your feet. And then from there, you can elevate yourself. 
So just using that one, uh, starting with your hands and feet, the idea that you're going to push yourself back onto your feet. I'm just doing this for people for the fun of it to help kind of spur some creative thinking, hopefully, is then you could do the opposite of that of try to move your feet closer to your hands. So whatever, you know, whatever the fixed point is, there's going to be a moving point and see if you can switch that. You could even, I can imagine there's ways of doing that left and right as well. So it's like one way I think of it is think of whatever you're doing and then try to find the opposite of that one. And then from that, see if you can find something that kind of goes left or right. Yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah, I like that. Um, I, I do it all the time. I've been talking about this a lot lately, only because I'm I'm really happy about it. I noticed that I've been was putting my pants on left leg first, and so I spent like the last probably two months doing everything I could to focus on right leg first. And sometimes I'd forget, and uh, it's like, oh damn it, I forgot. Um, but after about two months, now I'm ambulextrous, and I'm just as <laughs> love like, it. I'm just as likely to start with my right leg as my left, just from wherever my balance has subtly shifted or, you know, what might be next to me or whatnot. So um, I have a fondness for like, what's the thing that I'm doing? And now let's try to find the opposite of that one. Oh, that's a really, really good tip. I feel like that's something that I've done with brushing my teeth where I've, I've tried to brush my teeth with my left hand because I've noticed that I've always brushed my teeth with my right hand. So I don't know, maybe I should try it with my left hand because in case I have, you know, I don't have the use of my right hand anymore. It's that's a high possibility. Yeah. I had that. I had shoulder surgery. So my right hand was all locked up for, you know, months. And uh, so I was doing everything with my left hand. And um, the only thing I didn't get, you know, totally fine with was writing. Um, I, it was legible, but, um, but yeah, in the couple months where I was in a sling, um, I didn't get good enough writing. And I figured out how to type with just my left hand as well, which was a little better than just a hunt and peck kind of, but uh, that was, that was, um, that was a fun challenge. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Again, more stimulating as well for us. The more stimulation we get, I think the better for us. There's one that I noticed people have been doing lately. I, and I don't know if anyone's thought about it. This is going to sound really silly, but I think as a result of people watching more television coming over from Great Britain, there are more people who are now using their knife and fork the way people do in Great Britain than the way we typically do in America. So America, there's, you know, you'd hold the fork in your left hand, cut with your right hand, and then switch the fork to your right hand to actually pick things up instead of keeping it in your left hand. And I'm watching, I'm in restaurants, I notice this, I see more and more people eating that way, where growing up, uh, if I had seen anyone do that, I would have thought they were crazy. Oh, interesting. I know that that, that, that happened when Peppa Pig came out with kids and kids started to develop uh, oh. British accents. Oh, that's yeah, so we're, yeah, so, so funny. But yeah, you'll see American kids with British accents purely from Peppa Pig. <laughs> that's right. It is fun how um, watching how kids pick those little things up. I always like it when kids um, who grew up in a family where the accent in the house is very different than the accent out of the house. And watching how they code switch, I find that fascinating. Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up in a pretty multicultural household, so I, I had to do a lot of that with my mom being from Cambodia and having a pretty like strict Asian upbringing and then having, uh, you know, a Caribbean dad. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the, the economy was so so funny so i'd go over to to my mom's family and my mom's side of the family and you'd have to address everyone say hi to everyone you have to look them right in the eyes and, and greet everyone uh, and you didn't hug and kiss and then i'd go over to my dad's side of the family and you hugged and kissed everyone and it was just such a such a different upbringing but it, i mean like it's just the the way we grow up here and in, in North America, there's so much multiculturalism. Yeah. Um, but you kind of learn how to adapt. That's just the way it was. That's the way I grew up too. It, Where have you landed on that spectrum? Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. And what I I, I feel like I can adapt depending on who I'm talking to. <laughs> so yeah, I know how to adapt and I, I try to gauge the situation and see what's the most appropriate. So, you know, I, I can go both ways. <laughs> Yeah, I tend to lean towards hugging and kissing. I like it. (laughs) I you just gave me another flashback. I remember being probably in junior high school where our our social circle included boys and girls and we weren't sexual, but there was definitely like we wanted to be more physical. And I remember like when we were all kind of figuring out, is it cool to hug each other? And we really worked the problem until uh, not consciously. We never talked about it, but you could tell it was like we want to do something to acknowledge the closeness that we have in our relationship. Um, yeah. This seemed like a thing to do, but we hadn't seen anyone do this. And so that it was, it was something that became a thing. And of course now in, in Colorado or living, I've lived in Boulder for years. Uh, if you don't greet someone by hugging them, they think there's something wrong with you. 
yeah yeah that's just the way it is sometimes and I mean if you don't look at my you know my aunt on my mom's side without addressing her she thinks something's wrong with you too so so I mean we all just come from different walks of life and then um I think you know what we value is just very different but finding what works best for you for me I innately feel like close to people I feel like I want I want to hug them so that's something that I've just embedded in my life yeah and to your point of you know adapting to figure out what's appropriate for the situation I've given that up long ago so um there or mostly or maybe I never thought of it to begin with which is probably more likely Uh, so there are definitely times where I've done something like hugging someone to say hello where that is not what they are used to at all and um, by and large, no one's ever complained because, I mean, if I acted like I was embarrassed or it was the wrong thing, they might have a response, but otherwise like, oh, and then it's seemingly fine. I'm not suggesting people go hugging anyone, but anyway, let's go back to the floor for a second, or more importantly, back to kids. <laughs> um, I yeah. love this idea that you want to introduce this whole, this concept into schools for a number of reasons. A, have you had any luck making that happen in some way? And B, what else do you imagine what would be useful for whether it's for kids or for anybody else to explore these different levels of living and, you know, and a human home? Yeah. So we're right now we're in that process of just like continuing the design process of the desk. So I want to make sure that I can solidify that and have enough to be produced so that, you know, I have, I'll have the stock ready when that time comes. Um, I think what I'll start with is reaching out to to private schools because they're just a little bit easier to influence versus like the school boards. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the direction that I'm taking right now. But I'm also just getting the opinions of kids. So anytime I have the opportunity to have a kid in the studio, like you can spend an hour trying out this desk. And I'm like, what do you think? Do you like it? What what do you not like about it? What did you do on it? And I think that's like the, the stage I'm at right now where I'm just gathering data and learning to see if like at the end of the day, it's the kids that are using this. So I want to hear their opinion because I think as adults, we tend to just assume what's best for, for kids, but we don't ask them very much. So right now I'm at the stage of just like asking as many kids as I can. And so far, it seems that they like them. I always give them a choice. Like I said, there's the desk with the chair and then there's the, the ground desk and I'll leave you to it. And whenever I come back, they're always in the ground desk. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most uh, either interesting or surprising response you've gotten from any of the kids who've tried it? They don't give a lot of great feedback, but I think just the fact that they they like using it. They like the freedom to move around so they can move around the desk. Uh, they no. like that they can sit on the floor with it. And it just feels, they, they, they tell me that it just feels like, right. It feels like the desk. They, they, they want it. That's all they tell me. They're like, I want this desk in my house so I can play my games and on it. I can play on the computer or my cards, whatever it is. You've got to set up a camera to capture those responses. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, it would just be super fun. There's, a, Sorry, it's all more flashbacks. There was a time in New York when I was there, again, 30-something years ago. Um, it was a commercial for some Broadway show, and they had this like eight-year-old red-headed kid. And he says, I loved it. And if a kid likes it, you know it's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is yeah yeah it was it was brilliant because and and while as campy and and comical as it was it was on the money it's like for that show it's like yeah if a kid loves it definitely worth going to um absolutely. regardless of how old you are absolutely sort of like don't ask a five-year-old if you're ugly because they'll tell you the truth <laughs> kids are extremely honest and I, it's come something i've grown to appreciate about them because they'll give you the honest truth and i so you know, I do a lot of play with my my clients. Uh, I do a lot of workshops and, and classes where I, we do a lot of play. So I always ask my nieces and my nephews, like, what do you what do you like to play? Can you help me come up with a game? And they're so creative. They're so like uninhibited. It's just like, yeah. it's really beautiful to interact with kids in that way. Cause they're just like the most creative people that you'll, you'll ever meet. So if you need to brainstorm that they're the best people to go to. Well, and they, and they, they can tell the truth from fiction when you're telling to them. My favorite thing is if I'm out barefoot, which I am a lot um, in stores and restaurants and whatnot, and there'll be some kid with his parents and the kid will sometimes ask their parents, like, why is that man not wearing shoes? Um, but sometimes they just ask me directly, which is my favorite. And I'll say, I have two answers. I say, if we were at the beach, would you wonder about that? And they go, oh no. And that's usually all they need. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're yeah. fine with that one. But sometimes I'll say, um, do you like wearing shoes? They go, no. I go, yeah, me either. And I mean, but what's really fun is if you did that with adults, if you, and I do that with adults too, I'll say if we're at the beach where we have this conversation, um, it stops them a little bit, but then they start to argue. But the kid, like, that's all you need. It's like, I get it. It's context. 
you know, I get it. It's about comfort. That's all they care about. Um, that's yeah. enough of an answer. And they're not going to argue because they've taken it in and went, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. They are delightful. We, the biggest compliment I ever got was from a friend of mine, their children who were at that time, like eight and 10, and we were hanging out for a day. And at the end of the day, as they were going to bed, they said to their parents, Stephen's weird. They said, what do you mean? He's like, he's not like a normal adult. He's like a kid adult. <laughs> And I I said, that is the highest praise I think I've ever gotten. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. People don't quite understand. Like, you look like an adult, but yeah, are you? Yeah. The other thing I do with kids that's weird is I talk to them like they're my friends. I mean, I don't use as many four letter words, but um, some, uh, but uh, because I can't edit that well, but I just treat them like they're friends of mine and it seems to uh, be reciprocated. Absolutely. Yeah, actually, sorry, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I showed up at one friend's house and their daughter was throwing a bit of a tantrum and she's just like, like whining, like, like just literally going, eh. and I just walked up to her and like got right in her face and did the same noise right back at her. It took like two seconds till she just burst into hysterics and stopped. And then yeah. it was just, I, I really think that's how kids learn too. If you just talk to them like a normal person, they'll, they learn quickly. And I noticed that I'll give uh, here's a funny story. I was, driving home I wasn't sure how my cousins felt about me having my my bongs and my weed out like all my paraphernalia and I was driving home from the rock climbing gym with my nieces so I called my fiance said hey um I forgot to to do something could you please relocate the paraphernalia and I thought that would have been the end of it right but they're like what's paraphernalia I was like oh my god oh no (laughs) um and then I didn't know what to do so I was like oh it's a honestly it, it's a plant like and I, I lied to them and then I realized when we got home they, they're like can we see the paraphernalia plant I was like okay I don't want to keep this up Th- this is paraphernalia like I we use it to to smoke weed and get high that's that's what it's used for and then that we had a whole conversation about that but they're genuinely curious by nature um and I don't think it's a bad thing to to encourage that and just have discussions because they'll just ask questions and then they're like oh okay yeah done it's over it's done it's over it's quick and painless it's not too bad at all but now they know what paraphernalia is and that's that's you know to have a paraphernalia to have a six syllable word at your disposal that's pretty impressive yeah absolutely but if we only talk to children like children then they're never going to learn how to move beyond that well i let's bring this back full circle the irony then is we're trying to talk to adults like adults, but so they can be more like children to enjoy being on the floor, to enjoy experimenting, to enjoy these different things. I don't normally get to do it that way, but that was brilliant. But I think that's, it's a very interesting thing is in fact, if we go back to the beginning of our conversation, think about tribal cultures, the way that the parents and the children behave in terms of movement and relating to the ground, there's no difference. It's there's not in the same way that like what you were describing, the kids would sit around the coffee table on the floor while the adults were at a table or a variation of, you know, the kids table for Thanksgiving. That's just not a thing that happens. And I think what we're talking about in many ways is, you know, giving ourselves as adults the invitation. I don't want to say permission, the invitation to think back to what we would do as children and start exploring that to hopefully keep that mobility, that sense of curiosity, that willingness to notice a pattern and try something else that we just tend to get lazy and forget about. Yeah. And I think it starts by just, I mean, to, to sit on the floor and to, to do the things that, that we do uh, interacting with the ground is to really like defy the, the conventional, it can be really uncomfortable. So I think it's really important that the, the first thing we do is just start with our, our small tribes, right? Start in your home environment, start with your friends. And it can be as simple as planning a picnic and just spending time on the ground, right? It could be really simple. You don't have to go and start a huge mission in order to do this. Just start with the culture inside of your home. And if your kids grow up that way, then it's just going to be normal for them. That's that's just the way it is. Uh, if your friends start to, to be exposed to this, then it's just going to start to be a normal thing in their life. And it just takes, you know, a little bit of change, um, a little bit at a time and shifting that culture. Uh, it takes time, but, but I think just starting small and just starting with the little things that we can do, that's a really, really good place to start. Yeah. And keep in mind in public, the odds that someone's going to remember who you are and have unpleasant thoughts about you uh, in any way that will come back to you is about zero. I do yeah. this 
like when I'm teaching barefoot running to people, um, we'll go into the park and I'll, I'm not going to get into the details, but have them do a bunch of weird movement games. And basically the instruction is keep doing it until you're having fun and don't care what other people think, because guaranteed they're not close enough to see you anyway. They won't recognize you anywhere else. So your, your self-consciousness is completely misplaced. So knowing that just do it until you don't care, even if they did see you again, um, because yeah. then you're explaining that, you know, you had a whole bunch of fun and they should try it too. Yeah, absolutely. I used to, you know, when I started wearing minimalist shoes, I've always found that I, I, I'm going to try to wear shoes that don't look too minimalisty, like the the Vibrams. Uh, and now I just wear Vibrams because I want people to ask me about it. I want to start conversation. <laughs> like I, I want to wear the funkiest shoes that I can so that people can look at me and be like, what are you doing? And we can actually spark a conversation. And I think that's something that's been really uh, just like beautiful to have in my life. Cause I get, now I just have conversations with people on the street when I'm walking down the street barefoot with my dog like why are you walking down the street barefoot why why not yeah well I'm uh I will let you know that you can um possibly have a similar kind of conversation with people if you're wearing these instead of those uh although it doesn't start with people looking at you askance it starts with people going hey wait are those your issues or um or just like what are those I have a joke I say don't buy our product if you don't like talking to strangers because they will stop you on the street I mean every customer has a story about that um, which is super yeah so Emily, if people want to find out more about what you've been up to and how this could impact their life, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, they can follow me on Instagram at Emily G Moves, or you can follow my human home project at Human Home Ottawa. Uh, you can also visit my website at emilygooding.com or humanhomeottawa.com. And yeah, just feel free to send me a message, get in touch. I, you know, I always love connecting with people who are interested in chatting all things health and movement. And yeah, I love just connecting in general. So, but thank you so much for having me on this. I had a really good time. Oh, no, no, total, total pleasure. Um, so, and do let me know what happens when people do reach out because they will. And for people who are listening, uh, let me know what happens when you reach out because you will. And uh, I'm just, I'm loving how the whole idea of movement is expanding in many different directions. And I'm really, I especially love what you're talking about regarding kids. That's super exciting and fascinating and fingers crossed that you can really make that move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And thanks for everything that you do. It's really cool to, to just see. I mean, you know, when I started wearing barefoot shoes, not uh, several years ago, there wasn't many shoes on the market. And now I'm just seeing like, I can't even keep track of them anymore. And I think it's just such a beautiful thing that like, there's so much more investment into into health and movements. And yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And I love it. <laughs> Agree. People ask me, they go, well, what happens if other people start, you know, doing the same thing you're doing? I'm going, good. That's the whole point. So fingers crossed that at some point the, the giant companies realize that um, what what they've already known, which is what they're doing is not good for people, but that they find a way to make the transition to doing what's actually good. Cause that's all I care about. You know, we're trying to change the world. It doesn't have to be me. In fact, it can't be, it's gotta be everybody. And I, I'm just hoping I literally say, I just hope I live long enough to see it because it should happen. And um, we're just all trying to make it happen. So I appreciate you being part of that as well. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. So for everybody else, once again, thank you. A reminder, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find the previous episodes and all the different ways you can interact with us. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, et cetera, um, and you want to drop me an email, you can do that. Just find me at move, M-O-V-E, at jointhemovementmovement.com. And until then, or even uh, after then, or before then, or any then, it doesn't really matter. Most importantly, just go out and have fun and live life feet first.